Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the ninth day of January 2015. And today we're reading from the big book. We are in the chapter more about alcoholism, and we are on page 35, and we will be beginning our reading with the first paragraph, What Sort of Thinking?, And today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Lauren S., The Twelve Traditions, Sarah H., and then our readers are Kim G., Sue G., Santa H., and Anita J. The share ID for yesterday, Thursday, the eighth day of January, is 7172. 7172. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Lauren S. to please read the 12 steps. Hi, Lauren S., as in Sam from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, recovered compulsive overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make complete amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, probably admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to other compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Lauren S. I will now ask Sarah H. to read the Twelve Traditions. Good morning. This is Sarah H. from New York. 
Recovered Compulsive Overeater for today. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sarah H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that the sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in the chapter more about alcoholism. We are on page 35 and we are going to start reading with what sort of thinking dominates. That paragraph will be for context and then our comments will be on the next two paragraphs. So we're going to read three paragraphs here to begin with. And um, Kim G., would you like to begin reading, please? Thank you, Monica. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree, which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy, are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of what is he thinking? Our first example is as a friend we shall call Jim. 
This man has a charming wife and family. He inherited a lucrative automobile agency. He had a commendable World War record. He is a good salesman. Everybody likes him. He is an intelligent man, normal so far as we can see, except for a nervous disposition. He did no drinking until he was 35. In a few years, he became so violent when intoxicated, he had to be committed. On leaving the asylum, he came into contact with us. We told him what we knew of alcoholism and the answer we had found. He made a beginning. His family was reassembled, and he began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. All went well for a while, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. To his consternation, he found himself drunk a half a dozen times in rapid succession. On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what, we had, what had happened. He agreed he was a real alcoholic and in serious condition. He knew he faced another trip to the asylum if he kept on. Moreover, he would lose his family with whom he had deep affection. And good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I'm going to zone in on two, two sentences. It says, all went well for a while, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. To his consternation, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. And I looked up that word consternation. It says, a sudden alarming amazement or dread that results in utter confusion and dismay. So it says here, all went well for a while, but he failed to do a larger spiritual life. And the way that I look at that is, all went well for a while because he was just being sober. Well, all would go well for a while when I was just being abstinent. Because there is a freedom from the allergy not being triggered. I'm sleeping a little bit better, better, I'm not as confused, I'm able to focus more, and I experience that freedom, and I think that's what recovery is. I used to say at two weeks abstinent, I'm so much better, God has removed the obsession. God hadn't done anything. All I had done is, is, is arrested the, the um, allergy from happening. I hadn't done any work. You know, I used to hear those nine-step promises, and they were just called the promises. And I used to think, well, when am I going to get them? Is it, is it 30 days abstinent, 40 days abstinent? Maybe it's a couple months abstinent. Because I linked them to abstinence. But I have to, the, the, the fail to enlarge your spiritual life is referring to the steps. And the steps are very specific, and they're in a very specific order, and they need to be done abstinently. And what I would do is, first of all, I wouldn't do them abstinently, or I would pick and choose what I wanted to do, like a twister game, left hand red, right hand yellow. And I would do what was convenient and not too difficult, and then I would disregard the rest. And then I'd wonder three, four, five weeks down the run why I am going insane and picking up again. I remember so clearly going to a meeting, and um, they gave out chips, and this girl was getting a 30-day chip. And her sponsor was talking about how she, how she, you know, calls her every day and commits her food, how she makes her phone calls, how she makes her meetings, and she's such a good sponsee. Not a word about the steps. Not a word about the steps. And the girl meekly took the, the chip, and she said, I'm almost embarrassed to take this because I've been in OA for 10 years. I have so many of these, but I've never gotten a 60-day chip. And let me tell you, that was my experience when I just tried to address the allergy only when I was told that all I needed to do was go to meetings, get the right sponsor, and make enough phone calls. Enlarging our spiritual life is specifically linked to these steps. It's specifically linked to first putting the food down, doing the steps in order, and when I get to 10, 11, and 12, I have to make this a part of my daily living. 
because the daily reprieve is not about white-knuckling food one day at a time. The daily reprieve is that I have to live this life one day at a time or I'm going to go back to the food. And with that, I pass. Charles H. from New York. Thank you, Kim. And I hear you, Charles. And who else would like to comment on these paragraphs? Lauren S. Lauren. Larry. Larry. Okay. Rabia. All right. We'll start with that. Charles and then Lauren and then Larry and Rabia. Charles, you're up. Good morning, uh, visionaries. Uh, Good morning, Monica. Thank you for your continued service. Um, This is Charles H. I eat too much of a covered visionary just for today. And, um, yeah, it was a traffic jam yesterday on this this part of the book, Um, as as well received and as well documented. Um, You know, what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time and time? The desperate experiment on the first bite? Yeah. The mental the mental state is the crux of my problem and I have to and thank you, Kim G for, for you know, expanding on that. He feels to enlarge his spiritual life. I love how the big book dresses up these characters in um in chapter three and tells us about that he, he made a great beginning. His family was assembled. Um he began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. Uh, on the next page, we we're gonna see that um Jim had a resentment, right? You know, it says he had to work. At, he didn't have to work there. I was always, I always had a question mark there. But you know, he worked there. He started. He had a beginning, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual um, life. You know, I kind of just threw that in real quick. Like, I, you know, how much times I looked at this page and glanced over. Well, he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. But you know what? I was, I was calling my sponsor every single day religiously. Turning my food over, even being honest about it. Wow, what a what what a twist! Being honest about it. So, um, yeah, I was nervous. I was intelligent, but you know what? I was I, I was afflicted in the mind. The obsession in the mind was killing me, you know. And here's the here's the miracle today. Every time I'm on a vision for you, I'm sitting in the kitchen. The kitchen is my place of solace because. I enlarge my spiritual life every single day. You know, no more holding my breath underwater, Charles. No way. No, I can't. No, I can't. I tell you what, you know, my sponsee and I made up a resentment, you know, because I, I got to keep it paperless because, you know what, people don't need to be in my business when I'm going through four. I, I put these resentments through four through nine every single day. They come up. I'm human. I don't got to be Superman because I'm a visionary, you know. This kryptonite around me all the time, but if I don't enlarge my spiritual condition, I'll be dead. That kryptonite will get to Superman, and I'm not trying to say I'm Superman. I'm just using an analogy. Let's see what time I got, because I love to beat the bell. Um, so, you know, I made a beginning, right? Like, like the money ain't going to help me. The, mo- the money ain't going to help me buy wellness, but it will enable me to kill myself. And, and, and I'm going to close with this. On 43, it says we had to be pretty badly, pretty badly mangled before I got any help. Charles H., I identify him with being pretty badly mangled. I'm a pass. My name is Charles H. We'll cover visionary just for today. Thanks for allowing me to share. Thank you, Charles. Lauren S., you're up. Thanks. Um, all right, buddies. Lauren S., as in Sam, 
and as in snow, beautiful snow, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. All right, Jim. Um, everybody likes him. I don't. I I guess I don't relate to that because not everybody liked me and my malady. So, what comes to me? Um, it says Jim felt and enlarged his spiritual life. He made a beginning. So Jim took and then he um, learned about the answer. So Jim learned about the problem and the solution. And relating this to Lauren, when I I first heard about the problem in the first five months in program, and I didn't hear much about the solution, and I didn't hear the 10-step promises, which is my abstinence is sanity around food. And I didn't hear, I don't want the extra food. You know, not just that I'm, not just that I'm abstinent from not eating, but I don't want to, to overeat or undereat, if, if that was someone's case. And I heard about the solution after the five months, during the five months, when I started listening to this meeting, you know, that, thank God for... Um, a variety of ways to carry the message, and I was able to use the phone. And then I embarked on doing the steps thoroughly, honestly, to the best of my ability, um, openly, open to, to, to what higher power meant to me. When I started the work, um, about three months after I first heard a vision for you in March of 2013. And you know, meetings, even even this line, had recovered wisdom, but it, gave, it just gave me relief. And I didn't actually get recovered from the obsession where I'm saying today around food. I don't want the extra food. If you put a brownie in front of me today, it wouldn't be food to me. I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want it. I, you know, eating my fruit and veggies and starch and all these clean foods I eat, I love the food I eat. I don't desire toxic food today. And that came about a thorough working of the steps in the book supplemented with meetings. But meetings just gave me relief. They didn't give me recovery from the obsession. And that's what and that was that's very important for me to Time. know as a compulsive reader. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Lauren S. And Larry Kay, you're up. Thanks, Monica, for your service. Larry Kay, uh, Recovered Compulsive Reader. Um, so with this story, you know, I, I um, <laughs> the, the, the part that, you know, he is an intelligent man, normally normal so far as we can see, except for a nervous disposition. That, that definitely described me or so people thought, you know, um, as far as you can see, whatever I would show you, you know, and I, and I definitely had a nervous disposition. There's no question about that um you know and and here you know what i what i think the big book uh has come to teach me in in this in this reading is 
that in program, it, it doesn't leave any room for complacency or for coasting. You know, and, and I was always a complacent coaster. You know, that's what I did in life. Uh, I sought ease and comfort, and I sought that, that place in life where I could just not, you know, because I always had that anxiety. Anxiety was always my constant companion. So, you know, the only way I knew how to live life was to coast, and, and I was always coasting downhill, but I didn't know it. So, you know, when they talk about here, I mean, you know, everything I do today, I'm, I'm either taking a step towards recovery or I'm, I'm taking a step towards disease in everything that I do today. And, you know, um, I, I think, you know, what's, you know, for all that God has done for me and God has done much for me, those things that I couldn't do for myself, you know, that's what God has done for me. But I can assure you that God didn't make me, you know, make my abstinent uh, breakfast this morning. He didn't walk the dog this morning. He didn't turn on the shower this morning for me. See, all these things he equipped me to do for myself. You know, God will never do, never magically, you you know, make me feel better first before I embark on this practical program of action. He doesn't take the steps for us. and And I really wish that he would make me feel better first. He changes us once we do. And that's uh, here, you know, enlarging our spiritual life. We talked about, uh, you know, to his consternation, he found himself drunk a half a dozen times in rapid succession. Yes, you know, I, I wanted to just kind of work this just enough, just enough and no more, just the way I live my life. But today, by having the courage, it took the courage first. And then I am, you know, I embarked on these steps with, without knowing without knowing what would happen, except for what you told me would happen. So I had to have the courage to be in a place of uncertainty. And when I did that, all manner of living, all thinking, God flooded me with his spirit. And, uh, and the rest is history. And now I just remain in fit spiritual condition, and I ask for God to guide my life. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Rabia, you're up. Good morning, my dear fellow visionaries, and I'm so happy to be on the line with you this morning, and I want to take two seconds to acknowledge D.D. and the grace in my life right now sitting in my warm, cozy home with all of you with the snowstorm outside my window. I'm so blessed. So I love reading this, and Uh, All went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. And I'm having a new, deeper spiritual experience as a result of living these 12 steps. And, And so I'm seeing that the minute we come into this program, each one of us, we can begin living the principles of these 12 steps. We don't have to wait till we work through these steps to live the principles. And and the principles of 9, 10, 11, and 12 are love, perseverance, spiritual experience, spiritual awareness, and service. And so... Um, so what ha- so when I have three days or three weeks or three months... Um, 
how can I be enlarging my spiritual life? Uh, well, I can be calling a newcomer with one day, two days. Um, if I've had a guide taking me through the big book, I can be working with someone, taking them through the big book. I can be doing loving service. So the perseverance is every day I come with all of you and we do this together. And then 11 is spiritual awareness, um, the love of wanting to do service for others, how early or how long as we are in this program. And so it says right here, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from going back to binging as intensive work with alcoholics. I must be doing intensive work with compulsive overeaters every day, and each one of us needs to in our own way. And so we can begin enlarging our spiritual life through loving service from day two. Um, and each one of us needs to be doing this, and we're not, and we're relapsing, and I'm experiencing that in, in my life and working with others. And there is a solution. There is a way out of this, and it starts with action from the very beginning. And it's a beautiful thing to call someone to want to help them, and it takes me out of my selfishness and self-centeredness, and, and we can all do that today wherever we are in the steps. Thank you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Rabia. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? Santa H. Leah. Santa. Leah. Renata. Renata. Mary Philadelphia. Excuse me? Mary? Mary Philadelphia. Mary. Okie dokie. All right. Santa, Leah, Vasa, Renata, and Mary. So, Santa, you're up. Okay. Good morning, visionaries. Hi, my name is Santa H. Calling in today from Georgia. Uh, truly a great for compulsive overeater. And I just had to just chime in on this as Kim G was reading this. It just brought great comfort to me because it's like, take Jim's name out and put my name in because Jim is telling my story. It's like, this is my life almost word by word, uh, the life that I lived. And it just felt so comforting that I can identify in, that I have a place where I belong um, because, you know, I have this program today. And I was talking with a fellow traveler last night on the line, and, um, and it just brought back to my memory our conversation because this is me. But I'm just so grateful today that God has blessed me with such a wonderful program and that I live it, I do it every day with enthusiasm, that I look forward to enlarging my spiritual life, and that because of this, thank you, God, I don't have to take another trip to the asylum. And that's physically, and that's emotionally, and spiritually. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Santa. Leah, you're up. Thank you so much, Monica. Good morning, everybody. It's Leah. All went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Uh, you know, when I read this statement, I always think about, you know, the conventions I've attended in Overeaters Anonymous, and, you know, most most times uh, they'll do a countdown, you know, at these conventions in Overeaters Anonymous. And those countdowns really represent the truth that most people don't stay here. Most people do not uh, continue to enlarge their spiritual life because, you know, just think of any city 
or community or society, and if you threw down a net upon that city, you would capture those inhabitants, right? And there would be more adults than children. But in OA, there's more children than adults. And it's not because it doesn't work. It's because people like me use every justification and every rationalization and every excuse to be different. You know, I realize that most people don't stay here because I've witnessed that. And that's not because these 12 steps don't work. It's not because it's still not true that rarely do we see a person fail who thoroughly follows our path. The truth is that most people, like me, compulsive overeaters of my type, will not do the things that are necessary to make this thing work. There should be more old-timers. There should be more old-timers on this phone. We've been in Overeaters Overeaters Anonymous has been in existence since 1960. Because compulsive overeaters of my type, against all the information, against all this studying, against all the intellect on this line, and all the evidence, persist in saying, I'm not really like that, therefore, I really do not have to do these things. You know, I've been doing this for quite some time, and I come here because I don't want to die, and also because I do not want to live in a way I once lived because I lived in a way that was absent of quality of life. You know, when I was done fighting, and when I was pummeled to to a bloody pulp, I crawled to people who offered this solution and spoke about the recovery process, and they were sober, and they were happy about being sober. And they said, you know what, Leah, you don't have to live this way if you do not want to. And they said, Leah, you know, if you're not convinced, go eat. And when you're through eating, and when you're convinced, there's a way out. There's a way to live without having to eat. But you've got to not eat to experience that way of life, because not eating is the beginning of the recovery process. But this is about how to live with not eating. (laughs) This is about the only way I'm going to be comfortable, abstinent, is if I'm relieved of this obsession. And the only way to drive out this obsession is to continue to enlarge my spiritual life. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Vasa, you're up. Did you call me, Monica? This is Renata. I called Vasa, and then you'll be next, oh. Renata. Okay, Vasa? sorry. Thanks. No Thank problem. You. Thank you, Monica, for your service, and good morning, everybody. And I'm Vasa Ulrich, Compulsible Vida, calling from Florida, and Jim... He is an intelligent man, normal, so far as he can see, except for the nervous disposition. And a lot of people thought, uh, like my brothers, a lot of people thought of me as being very, very put together and very, very intelligent person, but I was a very, very nervous person. I I had experienced with a lot of anxieties. And again, I'm just so grateful I was led to the big book. And um, and again, I was ready to surrender. And I, I, I remember saying, I, I can, he can, I will let him. So I did the first three steps all at once, and I was just willing and ready for whoever to help me with the food addiction, you know. And um, and again, you know, I'm so I'm grateful that God gave me that first, uh, you know, the the abstinence, um, the sanity uh, with the food from the beginning. 
And, I mean, that was such a big accomplishment for me to be abstinent one day at a time that I tried to accomplish for many, many, many years. So to me, that was a gift from God. But I remember my sponsor saying, you know, you have to enlarge your spirituality now. And I thought just being abstinent was just enough. I'm just going to get thin. I'm going to lose the weight. Oh, maybe, you know, I'd be very happy. Or maybe I'll get, maybe if I had another husband or maybe... If I had more money, that's going to be, make me even happier, you know. I just didn't know what I didn't know in those days. But again, she, she stressed, I need to enlarge. But I said, say, well, I get on my knees every morning, and I ask God for the gift one day of abstinence and to relieve me from the obsession. And she said, that's the beginning. You know, there's like 12 steps. Now, you did you find you did step one, two, and three. Now you are got to get into step four, you know, the resentments, the the envy, jealousy, financial insecurity, all that stuff, you know. And I was willing. I said, you know what? I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do. Oh, follow, do the steps the way they're laid out. I don't, I don't want to go back. I didn't want to go back to the food, you know. It was wonderful to learn about the allergy and the mental obsession. And, but now how do I stay abstinent? She said, you don't go through the steps. You don't study the steps. You're going to go back into the food. So I was ready and willing to take the steps, even though I felt uncomfortable, embarrassed to talk about my life, you know, what had happened. But anyways, I was willing to take the steps the way they laid out, to the best of my abilities, you know. I kept on going back and forth, back and forth, and I still do the same thing. So I'm just... So, so grateful to be back here at the Vision for You. And thank you for letting me share in that path. Thank you, Vasa. Renata, you're up. And then it'll be Mary. Hi, Monica. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everybody. This is Renata, Recovered Compulsory Reader in New York. Um, you know, uh, me too, like Jim, you know, pretty normal and, you know, everything except when, you know, life didn't go my way, right? And I, then I couldn't stand it. Then the, the sort of thinking that dominated my mind was I need to eat, you know. That was my solution for everything, for every feeling, for every discomfort, for every, any feeling at all. And uh, it really felt like I would die if I, if I didn't eat, you know. Food was truly my god. And, uh, you know, I, I came to this program restless, irritable, discontented, full of shame and guilt and remorse, you know, selfishness and self-hatred. And I needed to, to be changed. I needed to, to be transformed. You know, I had to be transformed from that person that I had became, become in my disease into the person that God would have me be. And for that to happen, you know, the only way that that happened for me was by working this path. I had to suffer some uncomfortability, put the food down, get really honest and clean with my food plan, and work this path as they are laid out in the big book. And, uh, you know, uh, it says we need to uh, keep in fit spiritual condition, like... um, he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Um, you know, steps four through nine take care of the, the debris of the past, right? It, it cleans up the past. And then now on step 10, 
I take care of the present because, you know, I'm still human and I'm still, you know, on some days be restless, irritable, and discontent and not have acceptance and be resentful or fearful. But I need to clean that up on a daily basis. Otherwise, I'm right back where I started, you know. And, uh, you know, to make conscious contact with God every day, and uh, not just, you know, in the morning and at night when I'm doing a formal set 11, but all throughout the day and doing service, you know, asking my higher power every day, how can I be of service to those around me? Well, how, you know, how can I pack into the stream of life? And so, you know, that's what I get from this uh, this text today, and that's all I want to share. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Renata. And Mary, you're up. Thanks, Monica, for chairing the meeting. Uh, my name is Mary, and I'm a compulsive reader in Philadelphia. I'm a little new to sharing at this meeting. Um, I'm going to focus on the sentence that everybody has focused on, actually. It says, all went well for a time. But he failed to enlarge his spiritual life to his consternation. He found himself drunk a half a dozen times in rapid succession. And um, I always go back to what I believe, the big, big book to me is just one paraphrase on the doctor's opinion. I'm just going to cross-reference over here to this sentence, which we talk about all the time, but I have to repeat it again. It says here, uh, after they succumb to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. And that was my experience from 1973 to 2003. I failed to um, look into the depths of myself the way I should. It was a it was not a complete and thorough type of step work, and Mary couldn't stand to be with Mary. And uh, then I did the steps the way they were supposed to be done in 2009. It ripped me wide open. And um, I I did have that psychic change. However, I do have to work very hard to maintain that every day on a daily basis just to maintain my abstinence. And that's the way it is. This this, uh, compulsive overeating is extremely complex, and I have to accept that. But I'm very grateful for that. And thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Mary. And this is Monica, and I would like to jump in here, and I am a real compulsive overeater here. Um, so we've been we've been talking about, uh, you know, he, he's made a beginning, he started the steps, but he didn't continue, and things went well for a while, and then he, he um, but he failed to continue th- working through the steps. And what happened? To his amazement, to his confusion, to his distress, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. And what did they do on each of these occasions we worked with him? And reviewing carefully what had happened, he agreed he was a real alcoholic and in a serious condition. So I guess I just wanted to bring some hope in here. So this guy here picked up half a dozen times. And I'm being given instructions here as a sponsor is my take on this, is that I don't drop you if you pick up. I continue to work with you. I continue reviewing steps one, two, and three. And, 
you know, encouraging you to continue on with the work. You know, how's, how's your way working for you, you know? And are you, are you, have you had enough? Are you willing to do what you need to do here? you got to continue working through the steps. And they did this with him half a dozen times, six times. But we see that's not the end because the next paragraph, he's going to get drunk again. So don't give up hope. If you are having, you know, you keep picking up, don't give up hope. Keep working at it. It is a process. Some of us get it much quicker than others. But if you'll want it, it is guaranteed that if you work through these steps, you will get a spiritual awakening. It says it on 84, you know. If we work for these promises, they will always materialize. But i got to do the work. And with that, I'm going to pass. And let's move on to the next paragraph. And Suji, would you read for us, please? Yes, Monica, I am delighted to be here, grateful, recovered in the surrounds of the city of brotherly love in Pennsylvania. Okay, yet he got drunk again. We asked him to tell us exactly how it happened, and this is his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss but nothing serious. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place, which was familiar, for I had been going to it for years. I had eaten there many times during the month that I was sober. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still, no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. Oh, I'm so glad I got this paragraph. I love it. This this uh, gets me into my inspired shrinkologist taking a look at thinking, thinking mode. Um, and I, I'm stealing a little bit of this from a couple of uh, beloved commentators on the big book um, that uh, uh, really t- take a look at the whole thing that, the, and this faulty, this faulty thinking, which is in us, it's what does the food do for me, not what does the food do to me. And here, what, what does the alcohol do for him, not what does it do to him. He's, he's standing on the precipice. It's like a couple of a couple of drunks I know who went for a mountain climb on a great big hill near where I live, and they kept walking up the hill, and the rocks kept falling down under their feet, and finally they fell off, and they both got knocked unconscious and wound up in the hospital, etc. You get the drift. That uh, they were they were going to the edge of a dangerous hill, and they didn't know it. So so here we are. So so he says. So, so the book says. Yet he got drunk again normal behavior for an alcoholic car salesman and it goes on i i came to work on tuesday morning and i'm thinking well where was he on monday morning i remember i felt irritated that i had to be a salesman for a concern i once owned oh normal behavior for an alcoholic car salesman i had a few words with the boss but nothing serious normal behavior for an alcoholic car salesman I'll just do one more. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects 
for a car. Normal behavior for an alcoholic car salesman. There is no warning flag in in the mind of this person. He's just going to tell the story, which is exactly what we do in the rooms when we come in. We're going to tell our story, and I'll explain to you how I got into this mess, and I've done everything I can about it, except that, of course, I hadn't because I hadn't accepted that I needed some conscious acceptance of, of my condition, that, that what I needed was ego deflation and surrender. And, and that's what we learn in, in reading this. So if you can pick apart the, the thinking and behavior that results from the flawed mind, uh, I'm sure you can think of some things that you did like that. And, and this, this paragraph and this approach to it, it, it really helps me to, to look at it and, and laugh at it. I especially like the part about I came to work on Tuesday morning. So where were you on Monday morning? What were you doing that day? Did you go to work? I doubt it. So anyway, thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Suji. And who would like to comment on this paragraph? No, no. Ronnie. Paula. <laughs> Um, we're gonna have to start over because I didn't get anything. <laughs> Mary, a Mary, Ronnie, Rochelle. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Mary, Ronnie, Rochelle, Ronnie, Rochelle, Sarah W. Sarah W. Okay, and let's one two. Let's let's start with that because we're Mary, Ronnie, Rochelle, and Sarah W. Mary, go ahead. Mary, what's the initial of your last name? A. A. Mary A. Go ahead. Okay, good morning, everybody. It's been a delight <clears throat> listening to all of you. And, of course, my my favorite, favorite paragraphs, he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. And I just love Jim's story. And, you know, it was 15 months ago, and somebody really has to mute. It's making noise in my ear. It's the kindest thing we can do for each other to check that muting. And um, 15 months ago, you know, um, I was had no power, just like Jim. Um, he thought he had the power to stop eating. And, oh, boy, that sound is really annoying. But anyway, um, you know, it's the true, you know, I had never seen it until Harlan had showed us on the Sunday meetings. I had never really seen the um, mental blank spot that it's really there in the big book. And I had that mental blank spot. But, you know, I really forgot that the power comes. The whole book is about a power greater than ourselves. And I don't hear that enough. I hear we've got to put down the food. But if we don't say it with how can I put down that food, really put that food down, unless I align myself with God's power. My God, 15 months ago, my doctor begged me, can't you go back on your program? You were seven years without medicine, out of a wheelchair. I was going into a nursing home. What is wrong with you? I don't know why I picked up. It just, oh, my goodness. And But I know that God had spoken to me such a simple thing. Just come on the meetings. I'll speak through these people. I'll speak through the literature, and you will receive the power. It seemed impossible. I was just so far away. The mental spot had taken over, but I remembered. I opened that door a little bit. I just came on meetings, 
And then the power came to me that day I knew I would get day one. So I know that there are some people that don't work the steps. They they work them differently than I might do, but yet they still get abstinence. They find that power greater than themselves. And thanks for listening. Thank you, Mary. Ronnie, you're up. Uh, good morning, everyone. This is Ronnie, uh, recovering compulsive overeater from Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, listening to this section. We just lost you, star one, Ronnie. Ronnie, star one, we lost you. Oh, I'm so sorry. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Um, listening to the to the reading here, I realize, um, you know, I heard someone once say that the definition of addiction really is that we are addicted to our own thoughts. And um, I am really a really good addict because I am really, really addicted to my own thoughts. And um, <clears throat> there's something about the certainty of being addicted to my own thoughts that I find so comforting. Um, even when those <laughs> messed up thoughts are having an impact on my life, that is not good. But I am addicted to those thoughts. And it has been slowly dawning on me, like, okay, I can't change that. I can't change that about myself. But it can be transformed, and I can get addicted to a new way of thinking, which means that I could take those very stringent, um, uh, really clear um, rules and behaviors of addiction, and I can apply them in a wonderful way. Um, I can become addicted to surrendering. I can become addicted to pausing before I engage in a destructive behavior or pick up the phone or indulge my fear and my resentment. Um, I can become addicted to that. And that's a really cool thing. Um, And it's even a way for me to recognize that I'm an addict and feel some dignity about that. Because my God, the God that I have, I think does not want me to feel shame. My, my God wants me to feel loved and cared for and so confident in the abundance of what is in my life that I don't need to fear or resent, um, including I don't need to fear my addiction, but I do have to see it and I do have to accept it. And um, I have the dignity of choice, which means that sometimes the dignity of choice, I've gone down really bad paths, but they were my paths. You know, I can't blame them on anyone else, nor can anyone else take credit for them. So there's this dignity of being a grown-up and saying, okay, this is my life. This is who I am. This is what I do. Is there some way to shift it so that it works for me? And so I've been slowly turning my addictive nature. I've been surrendering that to God, and God is using that for me. And this idea that if I use my addiction, if I become addicted to this program and this way of living, which is so beautiful and so clear-cut, um, that I could become the very best addict <laughs> using the very best substance, which is reliance on something greater than myself. And um, uh, so that's it. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Ronnie. Rochelle, you're up. 
Good morning. This is Rochelle in Baltimore, and I just want to pick this paragraph apart a little bit more and to understand uh, our fellow Jim. And I think the thing that I identified at the beginning of this problem was everything was fine except he had a nervous disposition. I'm not quite sure what a nervous disposition is, but let's go from there. And um, he's telling over his story about how he got drunk again. And I'm looking at this, and, and I'm saying, wait a second, he came to work on Tuesday morning. You know, oh, what's, that's the behavior. You know, it certainly fits in with someone who used to be the owner of this business because an owner can come in whenever he wants. He doesn't have to come in on Monday and clock in at uh, 9 a.m., whatever time he's supposed to be there. So he comes in on Tuesday. So that's the beginning because he's going in the mindset of, hey, you know, I'm special. You know, I don't have to be like every other worker. And uh, that seems to be an ego problem. It seems also that... Um, he had a few words with the boss. Hello, if you're working for the concern, you go out of your way to have uh, some words with the boss. No, you want to get along with them. You smile. You talk nicely. Um, it looks to me like he's starting off with an attitude problem. You know, there's that self-pride and his ego. I mean, if, if this were me, I, I would hope that at this point I would do a self-examination. You know, I would go through the, the steps and see, uh, you know, what, who was it that bothered me? What was my boss? You know, what does it affect? Well, my self-pride. I mean, what, what's my part in here? So he didn't do any of those things, but he really wasn't ready for the steps. Yeah. So he goes along, and he's going to go find a customer. So, okay, that's good. That's what you're supposed to do if you're working. But he stops at a place for lunch. You know, all right, good idea. You're hungry. He felt hungry. Okay, that's justified. But he expects to find a customer in there. Hello? You find a customer at a luncheonette or a, a bar or someplace or a car. Uh-uh, there's something wrong with his thinking there. He sits down and he orders a sandwich and a glass of milk. Okay, he hasn't been thinking about drinking, but he orders a second sandwich and, and decides to have some more milk. Well, wait a second. Where are the boundaries? Notice that the boundary keeps moving. It keeps getting one more away from him. You know, and isn't that what we've done with the past, with our, excuse me, with our food in the past? I'll just have one slice. And then we said, well, you know, that was okay. I think I have a second slice. Well, you know, I am really still a little hungry. So with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rochelle. Sarah W., you're up, and you're going to take us out. Good morning, Monica. This is Sarah W. Just a brief share to say how grateful I am to be sober today and um, and the fact that what I realized is that everything got me to this place. And instead of beating myself up for how I got here, to be grateful that I am here today. And that the only way to, you know, the way out is really to work the steps. And if you're struggling, today's a new day. And, you know, grab a hold of somebody's hand and walk through these beautiful steps for a new way of life. Because it's, it's life on life's terms. That's my problem. And what I did all the time was go back to the food. And today what I want to do is live and be of service to others and to be free of the merciless obsession that drives me into that deep, dark hole that I think I can't get out of. But recovery can happen for all of us. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. And we have come to the end of our time here this morning. And I want to thank everyone who has shared and we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. 
And Santa H., could you read for us, please, from A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, thank you. Again, this is Santa H. calling in from Georgia. Truly, truly grateful, compulsive overeater, recover today. Thank you, God. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we only, I'm sorry, we realize we only know a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answer will come if your house is in order. But obviously, God transmits something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We will see. We will be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you tread the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. <laughs> 